Hello, welcome to 360 Yourself, the podcast show centered around self-awareness and improvement. I'm Jamie Neal, host of 360 Yourself. So, a little bit of information of how the podcast came about. In 2014, I had a breakdown and was hospitalized. Too much work, too much anxiety, too much coffee, and not enough self-care. In the hospital, lying there with my thoughts, I had to rethink my entire way of life. The doctor said I was overworked and my body just gave up. Now, I'm not gonna say it wasn't scary, but it was a bit of a turning point for me. From there, I started to rebuild myself, reading hundreds of self-help books and questioning everything from, why do we have triggers? Why do we have egos? What is manifesting and what is identity? Many years later, someone recommended that I start a podcast because I've always been interested about how others lead their lives. And thus, 360 Yourself was born, interviewing incredible minds about how they understand themselves and how they utilize their knowledge and awareness to set out into their space. 360 Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant and curious minds and looking at the world around them. I speak to artists, musicians, sports athletes, authors, CEOs, and experts in human behaviors, released every Sunday at 12 p.m. I ask questions about their mindset, journey, values, and ethos to fully understand how each of their minds work. How can we become more of ourselves to grow to the ultimate person we know we can be? If you do enjoy the episodes that you're listening to, please visit our Instagram page at 360 underscore yourself to let us know what you like and how you're learning. Or you can email us jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. That's jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. Hey, how you doing? Good. I'm, I'm good. I was enjoying our pre-chat. I didn't realize we were, uh, now this, we're just starting. That's that's the problem. That's why I always say, I always talk to everyone beforehand and I'm like, ah. Oh, damn that should really be in the chat we should really be recording but then also it allows the the guests and also myself just to relax and then when you get into it you're like oh well we've already we've already got to know each other a tiny bit beforehand so then it feels like rather than like record straight onto it you're you're a bit nervous i'm a bit nervous we want to have a good interview but now we're like chilled we're chilled yeah we're chilled well, Jimmy, why why did you want me on? Tell me what I'm curious. I'm turning it around on you. I'm, I'm oh my god, you you're the first person that's tried to turn it around to me. That's crazy. Well, I'm I'm fa- I'm fascinated by one you've obviously worked on recently. The one of the most amazing uh, shows that's recently happened, um, which was um, House of Dragon, of course. So that's amazing. You've had this amazing career uh, for uh, for TV and film. Uh, and, and, and entertainment with Prison Break and Grey's Anatomy. But also what I'm fascinated with is one of the, one of the things we were talking about earlier is your interest in tech. Um, and you're one of the early adopters or, and or investors of Twitter. And so I, what, what I'd love to do on my show is to bring on people who think differently and we can come to conversations with with an idea of openness that you can draw from different parts of the world but also parts of the the space and see strings between them and i think mm. i think i feel like you are polymath i feel like you see the world very differently to everyone most people within your space properly and that's why i'm, I'm fascinated to delve more into you and how you work and how you create the work that you create but also how you navigate your space Got it. That's, that's no, a, that was a very, that was a very long that was a very long. Um... No, that's a great answer. It helps me under you know helps me frame like what we kind of where because of those you know real and really like everything represents 
what we were saying, which is that, you know, whether it's Twitter, you know, I also, you know, started a cosmetics brand with my daughter's mom years ago, again, as a platform to tell stories in a different way. And I think that's really what everything comes back to is, you know, Twitter and my involvement there was again, how do we, how can we use this platform to further the storytelling that we're doing in television or film, mm. um, you know, in the, in the, you know, with Kosas, which is a cosmetics brand, um, it's what's, you know, what is the brand's narrative? What is the story we're telling and what do we keep coming back to and how do we use storytelling to move that forward and connect with the customer and the consumer of, of the company. So these things, I, I, I have a lot of outside interests, you know, but I'm not um, a, like a jack of all trades, you know, master of none. I think, I think I'm, I'm pretty focused when something connects with me that I feel I understand or that I use or that I wield in the course of, of storytelling or world building. Yeah. So, so your background is obviously filmmaking and that's what you studied. You didn't do like engineering. You went, you went to film school, but what I love is that you, you take what you've learned from film school and your ability to tell stories which then when something arises that perks your interest, you translate your skill into that area, whether it is tech, whether it is starting a brand, whatever it is, but it all comes from essentially storytelling. And I think that's what, I mean, that's why brands like Apple and Nike and I'm trying to think of another brand that it's not, it's not a brand. It's a lifestyle. It's a story. Right. It's essentially story yeah. making. And so that's why I'm fascinated with people and I, 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 the, the, the definition of what I would call you is like a, a an entrepreneurial director. So you have that entrepreneurial mind, but you have that storytelling creator. And it's essentially Steve Jobs had that as well. He, I mean, if he wanted to, I, I'm sure if he wanted to become a film director, he probably could because he had that creative vision, but he was also an entrepreneur and could also be able to execute his vision like a director. I mean, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, with, with Kosas, we were modeling a lot of our campaigning on what Nike and Apple and these things that aren't necessary, you know, what, what, it, what has become, you know, what sort of gets demanded by this generation is like, okay, we want to see the makeup being applied. We want to see the, the product. We, it becomes centric to that originally in the early work that we did, it was more a feeling like it was, it was, a makeup brand that wasn't showing you the product or sort of leading out to try to sell you that, but it was selling a, what the company, the feeling of the company. And I think that Apple and Nike do such an incredible job and are such a bar to reach for. But I, you know, in, in, in with Steve Jobs, like, you know, he had incredible vision, but he also had a real gift of surrounding himself with smart people and being able to like get the best out of them. And I think that that, is where I come back to in things like, do I, you know, want to, you know, in some ways I feel like I admire the fearlessness of, of so many people that can have 10 shows on the air and, and start this brand and that brand and do these things. I think that I'm, what has to activate for me is that there is something that, that, that I can like that lights a fuse that I feel that I can be value added and I'm I'm very good at being able to kind of like see the pieces and understand how they will go together. So for example, you know, when it comes to television, 
while I don't directly write, I understand how to structure a season and when the moves the season needs to make. And so I can emotionally get to what I'm looking for. And I love working with writers because I can, you know, sometimes we are extensions of each other in different ways. And so that's why, you know, Jonathan Tropper and I have collaborated so well. Andrew Sidrowski and I collaborated so well. It's, it's, it's beyond Unabomber. It's places where you're taking and understanding where the story needs to go, but I'm not necessarily always the person who has that answer. And that's why I love being around smarter people that are really great at the thing they do. And that's, you know, that gets into that producing angle, you know, the part that, you know, directorially, directing is a very different job than producing. And when I moved into producing, that's where like the lights started coming on for me because I realized that producing was really a management position. You know, I had worked, um, you know, all growing up, I had like an odd job every summer. I loved working. I've been working since I was 14. I'd worked in a library and an ice cream place and a fish market and mowed lawns and landscaped, you know, I can lay a lay a yard of sod, you know, still to this day, I know how to do all these, like, I have all these weird skills of, you know, going to get into sort of manual labor and which, you know, directing in some ways has that aspect, you know, you're there leading the troops daily, whereas producing is really a management position. And so uh, we started at, you know, the DGA of producing director workshop, because once I really identified this was a was a management. I, I felt like I needed to start reading and learning about how people run companies because a, a TV show or a film is really a pop up company that is of like mm. you know, 400, 400 employees that come together on very short notice and have to make something. So um, I always, you know, Bizstone, who co founded Twitter, would call me the the accidental CEO. So. I kind of kept falling into the role, this leadership role of running these pop-up companies, which are TV series and had a lot of lessons that I could backfill into talks I would give at Twitter or Google or YouTube or uh, Square when I would go give them. I, I really noticed that there were such similarities between a startup and making a TV show in terms of the process and the steps. And then of course, getting into the efficiencies that you start to discover. So finding that, you know, really, and trying to get people outside of directing to speak to directors about management and understanding that these are producing is really a leadership role that requires, you know, a, a, a different, delicate touch that everybody needs something different from you. You're somewhere between um, people's, you know, uh, some kind of, you know, parental figure to a substitute teacher to the the high school principal, it's like it's like mm. the, the 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 aspects of it are 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 you know kind of far reaching. It's funny how you say oh, I've I've never I've never had someone explain that that each production is like a mini little company because it is really like I find it fascinating when you look at all the credits and you see like 400, 500 people on a show and they all somehow come together and you've got supervisors and you have got your third AD you know, and it all like trickles down into like a whole thing and then suddenly there's a product at the end of it simultaneously like a startup where you start off with two or three people then it goes to 10 then 15 then 20 then 25 and then maybe the CEO steps down and becomes I don't know one of the founders or becomes a CCO or whatever the company is and it evolves that way yeah and it's funny yeah. how the direct you you correlate the relationship of 
a founder and a director as the same thing when you're starting a TV show, when you're starting up a company. It's very fast because I see that as well because it's the same managerial skills. It's just the result is different. I mean, that's, you know, when, when it was, that's why, you know, my working, you know, on and with Kosas, you know, I would also do all the content up until I went to House of the Dragon. And it was, it was a great outlet for that because it was, I, you know, I had those skills of helping to scale up a company. And then because it was, you know, I've seen so many startups be, you know, on somebody's kitchen table, which is exactly how Kosa started on our kitchen table and watch it grow from there. Square, I remember when it was like sitting on Jack Dorsey's desk, you know, and his house, in his apartment. And the only place that it was being used was a flower shop, flower stand down below of his apartment. And then eventually the coffee place across the street and watching, you know, how that, how you're, you know, you have these kind of steps along the way, you know, with, 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 a, with a TV show, you, you have a pitch, you know, that grows into an outline, which becomes a script, which becomes something that gets greenlit. And, you know, House of the Dragon, you know, went from, you know, me and Miguel and, and Claire and Gita and Ryan and this very small group of writers. And then all of a sudden expands to 4,000 people nearly overnight, uh, you know, that took to make that show. And, wow. that, you know, you've got, you know, and with that comes, you know, when you are that big a machine, you know, you have to really, you know, not only embrace what people are doing, but there's just simply you can't have your hands in every possible thing you have to kind of have a hierarchy and a certain way that the leadership works and disseminates so that information can get done and can get handled because you can't like if i change my mind for that, that to go down the pipeline is is a is a it takes a while before you know it's like trying to give the command to steer the ship yeah, so it's yeah. Like a while for that to go to the engine room to the thing to that, that you mm. know and then like everybody's got to like you know it, you saw you saw we we're just talking about 1899 like when they want to like change course of the ship it's like i'm it's a whole operation so yeah imagine that with every creative decision and so what um again you know what i find has been so great about working in this era is that the technology you know first i had to re repurpose things you know in the early days of like iphone when the iphone came out and re sort of repurpose apps to work for the film business and would work with those apps to see if they could tailor things more not dissimilar to when we we're talking about virtual production everything in a virtual production is a repurposed um the screens are used for like jumbotrons and rock concerts and the uh backgrounds are you know a game engine repurposed to create this world and so um you know the the ongoing um you know having to kind of pivot and use tech in a way that is unexpected but makes the production move more smoothly. So like in the case of House of the Dragon with that many people, we needed a cohesive approval process, right? Mm -hmm. So everything, we need to understand what everybody's doing and have it in one place where everybody can look at it. So that was like one of the systems I saw immediately was missing. And we were using something that was a bit clunky, but was getting the job done. And now, you know, in the year, since we did that, there's companies now that, that that are really specializing in those kind of things. So um, I feel like we're always a little bit ahead of the way that we can use tech. And I think when you have these kind of giant machines, communication comes down uh, critically. Mm. How, so how long did it take from building the script to greenlit to actually starting the show? On House of the Dragon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Miguel and Ryan were on it about a year earlier, year prior and it just, you know, took 
a while to get the scripts all written. I came in about two years ahead of uh, my show's airing. So like by the time I was coming on the air, I had been like involved with the show for two years. And I think Miguel and Ryan a year before that. Mm. So it was a long, you know, it was a long journey. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I took that time off from work to like watch it. Like I spent a good chunk of my life. I was away from my kids. Um, you know, that was important for me to like witness what was made and to see it and appreciate it. Cause I think there's a tendency in our business just to constantly do and not stop and look at what we've done. Yeah. Because then you don't, if you don't stop at what you've done, how do you know where you're going to go next into the areas that you haven't explored yet? If you're that type of artist or creative who want, who constantly wants to evolve themselves into areas that challenge them rather than keeping a singular voice. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the shows when I was showrunner, uh, you know, I was very careful about directors who were jobbing it. Um, yeah. There's, there, there is a culture of that. And I think it's perfectly acceptable because there's, you need, you need those guys. And I say, guys, I mean, those type of people, people those kinds yeah. of directors, those kinds of, those kinds of workers are, are necessary when you are filling out your schedule, when you're on a 22 episode schedule of house, let's say, you know, but as much as possible, when I got into uh, more streaming really wanted to cast the directors i wanted people i wanted to read the material and find the right director for the material not just slot somebody in and hope that that script and that director were going to have a good marriage um so the, the what was great about house of the dragon is that you know miguel who uh was in kind of a role reversal i brought him into television on house and he was bringing me on this journey now that he was, you know, producing and he really wanted to cast each episode with the right director. And so it was me, Claire and Gita uh, came in and, you know, we got our assignments of where we were. I got a lot of the bigger logistical technical episodes because of my background and years and years and years of action and also a, a real willingness to adopt technology. You know, I was, mm. I was on the Avid when the Avid came out. I took digital cinema the second I could get my hands on it. Because I was a camcorder kid, I wasn't a super yeah, eight kid. That that was that was my that was my next question. So, did you were you one of those like Christopher Nolan's with a super eight sort of like going at it at or like did you, did you did you yeah you just found yeah camcorder? I was a kid of the, you know I was a kid of the eighties and the camcorder when I saw a I mean but <clears throat> you know I, I've heard like I, I, I was friends with a baseball player and, and he said something interesting to me once. He was like, he's like, you know, I picked up a bat and I just like knew what to do with it. Like it felt right in my hand. And I saw a, I was 14. I was, um, I, I had gone away to Greece for, a, I'm Greek American and there were programs for us to go abroad and go to kind of camp for a few weeks. Um, and I was like 14 and fell in love for the first time and went to visit my, my Greek camp girlfriend, Cindy, at her parents' house over the Christmas break, and I saw a camcorder. I saw like you could immediately shoot something and see it, and you could plug it into your TV and see it, and it blew my mind. Like mm -hmm. I completely had all the, and I like ran home, like I was like, we have to get one of these, and like, um, you know, my my after a lot of like, I would rent a VCR and bring it to the house to convince them that this was like incredible that you could like rent movies and watch movies at home. And that this was like, we had to do this and, and with it managed to get them to get me a, uh, uh, you know, a camera that would plug into a deck. So I had this big camera that plugged in. I would like strap on my VHS deck. That was also the VCR that we would use 
and that whole system because it came with a camera i could take it apart and then take it out and start making short films you know in my early teens that was so we're talking like 1984 to like 87 when i left to go to uh, come to california and go to wow. school. it's amazing it's amazing how uh technology has moved on and we were, we were talking about that now with um the early the led screens for 1899 and it's like i don't know if you know this but i always like to tell people this fact is that there was the the pocket watch and the wrist watch there was a 400 year difference of mm. each one being made and that was i mean however long it was but nowadays there is a, such a shorter gap of innovation at so when you obviously have like augmented reality we have like the apple um apple um iphone and blackberry and now we're looking at virtual um uh, virtual reality and we're talking about metaverses and we're talking about DAOs and blockchains and we're talking and elon musk is talking about chips in your brain and stuff and now we're getting to such a, a place where we're going so quick that how does this technology become a gimmick or how does it be utilized in a way that's appropriate for what we need it to do to tell the best story or for the best project rather than right. what rather than what happens is that you get a really cool lens or cool camera and you're like but you just got it because you it's just cool rather than it's it's contextual to that thing or in the theater when they when they do something really interesting uh, because it's the new thing but it has no relevance to what it uh, what it's what it's for um and i feel like technology is getting like that where you're going to have driverless cars and you're going to have that potentially in an action film in the future just 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 because <laughs> well you you know, I, I i there was a great line in interstellar you know from john lithgow which was like like every day felt like christmas like it just seemed like something new was coming out every second and every day, I mean, you see that with all the content that, that you can't even keep up on. That's, you know, that's a really astute assessment of, of, of what is going on with technology. I mean, we were talking about the AI chat bot thing that you can do. And, and interestingly, like coders have engineered apps, you know, or kind of programs to code code. So they've almost like coded themselves out of work because now you're creating something that can code for you. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's, it's a question too, where, you know, I pressure test anything against like, is it the tool for the job? And it usually starts with like, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And is there something out there that, you know, you know, before there were, you know, paperless distributions of scripts, I was like, how do we, you know, there were, when the iPad came out, there were apps to like annotate PDFs. I'm like, okay, what do we do to how do we get on how do we get paperless like now there's now there does exist a place where people can import their scripts and we can start saving that money and that money was money for runners to run scripts you know script would get printed it was the printing it was the copying it was the paper it was the toner mm. it was like there was the, the physical people to rush out pages to hand deliver them to your house was crazy and once you could start emailing those things then where did you put them and once tablets came out or the ipad really came out you know, I was importing cuts into my iPhone because I was like, oh, wait, I'm like on set all the time, but I'm also running posts for house. How do I, how could I get the cuts down to me down here? And I would get them, I would import them. I'd have them exported as quick times into my iTunes onto my phone. And I would do notes of cuts between setups on house. So I'm always using tech. And I think you have to always put it up against what is the problem you're trying to solve? 
-hmm. And is that serving your story? Yeah. I I think if you work backwards where you're like, I want to make a show on the volume. I mean, 1899, like wanted to make their show for a price. Those guys are incredible who did dark and they were trying to solve a problem of how can we make this at a price? How can we afford these huge sets and virtual And also COVID. And COVID and the virtual production, you know, you know, came in. And I think that that also came up for, you know, the talk that I, I I give and just recently gave again at USC was, you know, you're making the impossible location possible. You know, we were shooting the bridge sequences for Dragonstone with virtual production on the LED screens on the volume because it was impossible for us to actually physically shoot there without it taking weeks and being a total disaster and the physical space was not even conducive to the scene we wrote. So we either have to take the scene somewhere else or find a solution. And the solution was not to just do it on green screen, but to do it, you know, because of the armor and all the other issues to do it within a, within virtual production. So we could actually see things and frame things and the actors kind of knew where they were in space. Mm. Um, So there is a lot of stuff that comes out. I think not everything that comes out is good or necessary or is going i've been thinking that vr is going to take off for years i think almost my whole life and every time i use it i'm so impressed by it but interestingly like my kids don't engage in it because Um, because it hasn't adopted yet it's never like maybe four to six years before the adoption rate i know apple is going to be probably or or um Google will probably release a, some sort of augmented reality glasses probably next year, the year after, because that's sort of. I think they. The, I think they did already. Did they, they tried a few times? Yeah, they did had they? something. There was like Google Lens or something, and then there was uh, Magic Leap, and there was an Oculus. You know, the kids will occasionally put on, but it just doesn't grab them the way like playing Nintendo Switch does or Roblox, interestingly. So yeah, what so I'm... why why it why is so when people obviously did Wii and you know when there was a maybe it was like four years ago when people were doing the Wii sport and they were doing like tennis and you put your thing on and you got your ditch and it was like sort of like a thing. People people actually did that and people adopted onto it. Now that's the question for a lot of people is that there are similar there are similar occasions within gaming and devices that have done sort of the adoption of sort of virtual reality ish or augmented reality ish and so it's like how that why i'm fascinated is about psychology what is the next thing that changes people to do something differently like when xl i was speaking to my friend who's a who's a lawyer and he was like when xl uh, spreadsheets came out whenever it was it literally changed the whole industry it literally right. just like so that was the question we were having is like what is the next thing it's going to just change everyone to do it that way i mean it, i mean for a while it was always the porn industry that you would look to because they really pioneered like streaming technology they uh, decided the format war between vhs and beta and really pushed got dvds over any other format to get out there so there was that joke for a for a while that like the porn industry was like innovating more we just than, looked to porn yeah basically basically <laughs> it's gonna solve porn is gonna solve all our problems so, you want to know what next it's gonna be look to like whatever porn's doing oh they're, dear they're usually ahead but actually like but no joke they they were like well ahead of i mean first of all they they were like on top of vhs and that's what broke it over beta which was actually a more superior format and they um you know, they were also got, you know, DVDs like went rampant because there was, you know, 
they thought like was there. And then the um, streaming really was another thing, like get it, how to compress video to get it over the internet into somebody's home. They were mm. like well ahead of things before that was going on. So they, it's, it's a, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know what's next in that way, but I was sort of fascinated that like, that, it was like that this vice was was becoming the delivery system for a lot of was deciding the formats not the other way around it wasn't like oh my god how do we get you know all all the episodes of the sopranos into our home it's like how do we get porn into our home and, yeah i mean we i mean we we just had on the um the ex-president of uh warner brothers and he did all the distribution his name's ron sanders you'll be able to find it in the on the um episodes but we talked about that sort of thing the early adopters like when when sort of dvds and vhs's and like portables like moved over and how businesses basically tried marketing wise tried to sort of go into what was going to be the future and obviously like you look at netflix being one of the pioneers of that um and then you think about like my dad i'm at my dad um try to take the vh uh, the vh um tapes and convert them into dvds and i said to them why you convert into a dvd you need to put it into uh into a an mp4 or onto a file i was like why and how do you do that i was like well because if we have dvds no one be able to watch them because no we don't have dvds anymore and so this idea and also like where do where's your data stored now like there's this whole i mean we're getting to a very deeper conversation but this whole conversation about web three and metaverses but we actually don't realize that all this conversation about cryptocurrency that's going on at this moment in time is not really the conversation it's actually the conversation of blockchain and that technology which is actually really really decent and will be the future all this thing about jpegs and nfts i believe is just like a sort of starting point but actually the, the under the undercurrent blockchain is going to be sort of the future and how we store our data and how we put all like a sort of like a dvd collection a dvd wall right. like you have in the back will be all on the blockchain and it's all the, these sort of conversations but not everyone's focusing all on this like nfts and crypto and of course that's the main thing at the moment because obviously it's very very volatile and unstable but it is fascinating where we store our things in the future as well no, I, I totally agree with that. I think, I mean, I think there's something about physical media that I still love. And I think that there is a, um, you know, interestingly for all that, there's still not something that's as robust as my DVD collection, which actually I felt each DVD was like film school in a box. Like you would get a commentary, you get deleted scenes, you would get all this oh, stuff. Yes. In order to, and all that stuff is like, like there's nowhere I can go anymore. Like I, I would really, there was like a period of time when like DVDs were really huge and I couldn't believe the access. It's kind of before now you have masterclass out, which I think is, was, is, is, is a great, great but, every, like a but great... I think, I think every, I said to my friend the other day about commercial, I said, I would, I wish that every commercial music video, whatever would showcase the behind scenes, how it was made. I'm yeah. all, I, I, I'm much, I, I'm like, at the moment, I'm listening to how Interstellar was made, the 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 composition. It takes like an hour on YouTube. But I'm more fascinated, I think because I'm such a curious mind, that I like to decompose things and take them apart and no, understand I, what why it I happens. Agree. And process, I would I, Yeah, is, the process is like, like is, is so like that that's like that is like I love like I'll go down the rabbit hole. I think process is like 
fast because I'm always thinking about process and mm. wanting to, you know, I'm thinking about 14 year old me who had no access to any internet information about the movie business, books, not zero. And except for just watching the results. So I was really fascinated. Like, how do they get there? And so yeah. when, when behind the scenes are around or DVD commentaries, like you didn't even need to go to film school anymore. Like what you, what you could get that. And this is of course, like I was after I was out, like I didn't, I did not, I couldn't afford to buy laser discs, which were extremely expensive and DVDs. You know, I remember wanting to buy a laser disc player when I got one of my first jobs and my, I knew somebody at Universal who was like working on DVD, the DVD tag. He's like, look, just wait. We're going to put like a whole movie on one side of a CD. We're calling them DVDs, digital video discs. We're going to just, just like be patient, wait a year. And I did. And then all of a sudden for, that's when I started using Amazon. I would just go on Amazon. I would buy movies. I could not believe that I was listening to all these great filmmakers talk about their work. Mm. And so I, you know, I'd watch the movie that I'd watch it again with the commentary so when we did Banshee, you know, we did the DVDs for Banshee. I would make them, I wanted to make them sort of a film school masterclass of how we made the show. So I would bring every walk of life in terms of a production onto the commentary tracks of every episode. So in terms of physical media, yes, like, you know, it's standard def, they're there, but housed within that is a ton of knowledge that that we've passed on and I think that's where things get lost is that I'm not seeing where that media is being stored. I'm not able to access, I can go buy something on iTunes, which you're not even really buying. You're just leasing and can disappear on you at any time and does not have the robustness that I once had with DVDs. So, you know, it's the same thing about, you know, what people enjoy about records. I'm sure, you know, seeing the covers and seeing the artwork and being able to really study the craft and the arrangement of songs and the art that went into some of those things are fascinating, but they become, you know, nostalgic. I think my daughter the other day, I said, we were talking about something and we were, uh, oh, there we were watching Wednesday, right? And they go to a, um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show yet on Netflix. Yeah, of course. Show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, they go to like this like pilgrim village place, right? Where everybody's playing the role. Of, yeah. And she tries like, to steal the book. Yeah. yeah 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 so that 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 like is like based on this place called sturbridge village which was in massive i'm from new england so there would be this in plymouth rock and all the yeah it, it, that was the incredible part about being in, in the uk was like all the places in massachusetts that you know, are all named after all the places in, plymouth my hometown that's why know. i love it <laughs> yeah exactly exactly we would have field trips to plymouth to go see plymouth rock you know and uh, yeah 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 so but anyways sturbridge village was this place that you'd have this you'd have your school field trip and and you'd go and there'd be all the the reenactors are all pretending like they live in the olden times. And I was telling my daughter, I'm like, oh, like this is, uh, you know, this is like when this is I would go to this in school and they pretend they're in olden times. And then she's like, Dad, you're from olden times. Like, did you churn butter? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I might have. Yeah, you might have. Like, I mean, it's like, I mean, everything when I when she like imagines a world without Internet, she thinks I'm a hundred years old. But I'm like, look, there was a time. But I say to my parents, my parents are like 64 and 65. And I say, it must be so fascinating, like to because my my dad um, was quite poor when as a family and they had to um, put coins in the TV 
to rent the TV, whatever it is, and then the man would come. I think the man would come every week or every month, and they would collect the coins from the back of the TV. And I said to him, like, it must be so crazy that you have like a sixty-inch TV now, and you just go on Sky, whatever it is, and you literally had to put coins into your thing, like when you right. were younger, and you now have a car, and you have your iPad, like. It must be, I mean, of course, you evolve over time, but it must be so mental when you think back. Like, I remember, obviously, when the computer just sort of came out and then like, you'd have it, you'd dial in and, and you'd go, okay, MSN. Yeah. But, like, to have, like, literally nothing and to be put in quarters or whatever it is, like 50Ps or whatever it is into the back, is just, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. No, it's, to it's, think. It's, it boggles the mind, like, how, like, how things were and to also like see it within your lifetime to see that kind of change and it makes you interested excited nervous to imagine what what is coming you know what the what the you know i think with it has come a price and i think that you know you're you're going to see the reckoning of that i think as the generations go on i don't necessarily think more is better i don't yeah. think like the way that we you know, i think like the exciting aspects of being able to access information like blows my mind as someone who could not, you know, I was, I was, I was raised just outside Boston in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which was a extremely conservative town. Like they wouldn't have fast food in the town. So it wouldn't attract the wrong crowd. It was a dry town. There's no alcohol in the town. It was like footloose. Wow. I feel like I, feel like, I feel like everything short of like not being allowed to dance. Yeah. Was going yeah, yeah. On in this, in this small town. And, you know, people, like people love it for the reasons that as a teenager, I needed to escape it. So mm. it's, know, it's, like it's it's even it's even more fascinating fascinating as well. But when you think about storytelling and data and uh, privacy, and you think about also uh, face face dubbing or whatever it is, and when I'm I'm obviously here, but I could have a Brad Pitt face over here, and it'd be it'd be playing the same thing, and I could just pretend to be Brad Pitt, or even like how we talk, I was talking about Elon Musk and and chips in the brain and. And how we and that consciousness and what is data? I mean, there was a brilliant film years ago which I, I watched uh, this morning randomly called Source Code, which is all oh, about. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted yeah. to direct that. I met on that a few like years ago before yeah. it got made. And like, I and was, I I, I find that I, totally I find agree. I find parallel universes. I find consciousness. I find time. I find yeah. space. All fascinating. And I was looking at that. It was 2011, I think it was made. 2010, 2011, maybe, I think. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I need to double we'll double check that. But it's like the future of where we're going and where consciousness and how we are potentially could be uploaded into blockchains, yeah. into different people's bot. I mean, like, there is Black so Mirror much. Yeah. Really explored that. You know, I thought, I thought that was, I thought it was brilliantly done in, in Black Mirror, you know, the, you know, where they're, where they're just inside the 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 sim you know the simulation of their the love dating story. thing and, yeah 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 or the dating one was also great with the with the like it was just running kind of algorithmic like what is data what is it's running that information I think as I think as we um you know as as that goes on it will just be easier and easier I mean I saw so you were talking you started talking about deep fakes I went to um uh Trey Parker and Matt Stones um. Uh, deep voodoo their deep fake technology company that they have mm -hmm. which is like which does just take you you know you you could you know would put brad pitt brad pitt's face or keanu reeves face on you and i'd love to be keanu reeves face <laughs> pu pu puppeteer it a little bit but it, it's it's it was i could see again like when you, when you talk about new technology like i instantly had like 
10 things we could have done with it on house of the dragon. Like if I, if I had, if I'd known that that existed, I would have been running tests on how we did, you know, Patty's aging, you know, again, for efficiency and for actor comfort, maybe the actors like, look, I need certain things to get the performance. But at the same time, you're like, you know, they, they, they hate sitting in the chair for three hours. So yes, this was like, it was, you know, there's, we do, we do so often need to, you know, age the character subtly or not subtly. And you can use that technology to add that layer on without losing the performance with the actors. I mean, I Mm. thought, I thought there was such incredible work, which again, you know, when you think of people's work-life balance, which is completely skewed in America versus when I've worked in Europe, you can start finding paths forward of not just like taking a shortcut, but like, oh, this would solve a problem. Like, I, you know, I've had, can't tell you how many times I've had issues where like, okay, the turnaround of the makeup department is going to be so narrow, they're going to get three hours of sleep unless we change the schedule. And we're we're doing that dance because so-and-so has to be in prosthetics for three hours, which is going to bring the company in at two in the morning. And it's, you're like, okay, but what if we could just, we have, you know, the, we have that information. It's, it, it's, we're seeing it in real time applied over the face of the actor and now they don't have to be in the chair for three hours and now we get our lives back yeah um they get their life back yeah and, and so and, and but but, but that's that's talking about using technology for the context of what it's being used for rather than it's just we're just doing it because we're going to be cool and because it's new well this is this is this, can... is this is this is for ease and efficiency well you well that's that's where i saw the application interestingly you know matt and trey were using it for satire they were using it to do like make fun of Trump and make fun of the yeah. Trump family. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it was like it was this thing that was taken from. Then you're like, okay, what, what could you, what could you do? What will this evolve into? Like now it's just sort of the neck up. What if you could do the whole body? What could you mm. start doing? Can it start? You know, it can follow face, face, facial expressions, lighting. So what is the next step? Well, the next step would be like the whole body. So mm. then you're, you know, then what? You know, then it can then you start getting somewhere with with things you can do in camera and do them live. And it was astonishing. I mean, it was an astonishing demo. I was mm. like, and, and I get excited to find, like to know these things exist, not to like be like, oh, how do I make a deep fake TV show? I want to, I, I want to, um, I want to find that like, okay, I have a problem to solve and how, and, and is this the right tool exactly. for it? Exactly. You know? it's, these, but- these are all just tools. It doesn't make a story better. Yeah. Nothing is better on House of the Dragon because we use virtual production. It just allowed us to solve problems. Yeah. And and being so torn in terms of time when you're on projects like House Dragon and all the other TV shows and also having a personal life, how do you find whatever you call balance when you're in these high stressed informa- like places? Interestingly, I didn't find House of the Dragon high stress. You know, I think that, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know if you watch American baseball, but they, the batter warms up with like, takes three bats and starts swinging them, you know? So it's like mm-hmm. you, 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 you have this big heavy thing. And then, so when you get up to the plate, you have your, just your single bat. And so I feel like working in America conditions you to be able to work anywhere else in Europe and you this is true. Believe the amount of like time that you actually have and, and energy and rest that you can get. I mean, we worked 10 hour days on House of the Dragon. Uh, you know, when I was in Budapest doing Picasso 10 hour days, Prague, we did 12 hour days, but they were like 
um, you know, we just worked from eight to eight to eight, you know, it was, it was extremely civilized and I had time to, you know, rest, think, plan, you know, have some time that was not the thing that I'm making and get back to it refreshed the next day. And I think Mm. that, you know, you're working on balance. It's, it's, it's either, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate I'm in, in the position where I can take, um, time off when needed you know i'm dad of three i have uh you know i have i have three kids with two moms and i'm divorced from both of them so i it took me a long time to find balance and it came at the expense of my family so uh i you know as i as i emerged from my second divorce it became a real priority for me is that that the all-consuming aspect which is the kind of the magic sauce of the business is that it really like thrives. It's, it's like youth vampires, you know, they're like, they're, they, they, it thrives on desire, ambition. And those things are hard to have when you have a family. And Indeed. So and this is why I find it fascinating. The whole thing about balance of living in Los Angeles and on that sort of treadmill and doing all these different shows. It's like, I was saying to my mother actually this morning about, um, because I'm, I'm in, I'm in uh, my hometown for Christmas. But I, I was saying about the sacrifices that people make. Like you choose between going, you've got a meeting with such and such, but you've also got to do a family cinema trip. Which one do you choose? And what yeah, one's going to suffer? One's going to suffer, and then eventually, you know, that the the scales tip when they suffer too much. And um, you know, there was just you know because of the quarantining in the UK. I couldn't come back and see the kids. I mean, it's a long trip from London, but it wouldn't have been impossible. I, you know, once that was lifted, I was too busy to make the trip. They came out. I came back for a quick weekend, but it was that that aspect was the the part that was the most heartbreaking. You know, I think it was it was hard for all of them. You know, we talked. We strangely, it came up at dinner last night. I, you know, with, I had all three. I have I have my kids all together every other week, so I have equal custody of my kids and. Mm-hmm. And it's great because I have them all together on my weeks. And uh-huh. we were at the dinner table last night and, you know, they, you know, they were, they, my, my son asked me, you know, if I, if I view myself as a full-time dad or a part-time dad, because they're only there part of the time. And I'm, and I said, I'm like, I'm your dad all the time. Like I, it, I'm heartbroken that I can't be with you all the time. But, and even when I was in London, that was even harder and it was hard for them too. Like they don't necessarily want to, be away it's like it, it's a it's it's you're you're ripping from their lives so i i you know I, I i find balance by choosing my projects carefully you know i'm trading on that time with my kids and my family oh. and you know house of the dragon was exceptional because my kids could see the the posters they knew everybody was watching it they they just like they could be part of the kind of the the celebration of the work which mm-hmm. you know is not normally the case because things don't break through quite like that like when i was on house house was the biggest show in the world 100 million people were watching it legally a week now house of the dragon was the biggest show in the world for 10 weeks and that was extremely exciting and my kids were very excited about that but but you know in terms of leaving the country in terms of going away for an extended period of time it has to be something exceptional yeah yeah um and as we come to a close of the episode unfortunately because um time exceeds us um which i hope um in the future we we meet in person because you're a fascinating fascinating person but um what i always love to do my guess is that um 
we do the gift back and we always ask our guests um, and we've just released our last episode of give backs for 2022 so this will go for 2023 and essentially what we ask our guests is what has inspired you in your past life well not past life i mean your present your your previous lives um and what potentially has inspired you recently that you would give back to your younger self or someone listening and it could be a mantra could be a book could be a painting could be anything what would you give back to give someone inspiration uh you know look i'm a product of mentorship and so mentorship remains a really important part of my life to to do and to pass along i think mentorship is something that is a is a careful dance you know i've i've been i've had i've had great mentors in my life i've had kind of dark mentors in my life you know not everybody you know you you sometimes get obi-wan and sometimes you get darth vader depending on you know kind of how things go and and you know i think some of the abuses that that happened that i was around um are fortunately you know being weeded out of the business you know some of the real like fucking absolutely insane producers that i worked for mm-hmm. that were out of their nut and would never survive you know one of the crazy like all cap shouty crazy toxic emails that i would get during a production but there's just you know the business also attracts you know um, a, a lot of challenging personalities working through something so i uh, you know being a good mentor being able to while i'm in the business be able to help guide young talent new talent um in and kind of ushered in so my graduating class of mentees are doing phenomenal i've got an incredible crop of talented filmmakers that are currently coming up or about to break through that remains like a real passion for me in my life and it's why i went back to speak at usc it's why i like you know doing these talks about you know the how we made the process of how we made house of the dragon for example so that we can further the tools that we're using to tell stories. I think passing knowledge onward is critical. I think and that it's very difficult in a time where every company wants you to sign an NDA and they're all like, you know, worried about X and Y yet, you know, I have no problem when I have like, you know, a filmmaker is stuck and needs help calling and, and trying to puzzle that stuff out. I think that these things that, that, that these barriers that are now sort of being created because everybody's siloed and worried that they're going to steal each other's stuff is really blocked filmmakers from being able to communicate and if you think about the 70s when Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and, and Scorsese and all that were just showing Chums. each other their stuff yeah their, they were just their getting stuff. on and they were getting on they were showing each other the work like if I were to be like oh I want to show my director friend a cut of something it would like HBO's head would explode with like you know to to make that ask with like the NDAs and the confidentiality and the security like crazy like mm. does that stop me from having somebody come over to watch it on my account no but i can't like have i couldn't do i could i don't have the kind of communication because i think that um getting other eyes on on your work is so important and we we're moving so fast now that we've we've lost that <clears throat> so i try to remain in my mentees lives to the extent that they need me i'm like kind of on call i just Mm. um i've seen that go dark and so that's you know it's important for me to kind of keep good boundaries with my mentees and be able to usher them in and be there when they need me not when i feel like i need to feel validated or be in somebody's life like uh, some of the mentees that i that had when i was coming up um you know really are like 
out of the business and trying to find their way back in and kind of sort of try to latch on and gaslight young talent into thinking that they are needed. Uh, you know, like when Elvis had the Colonel, I feel like I've had people like that come through my life and, um, you know, have just learned to be wary of when people are moving to LA, I tell them to be careful. And when I'm, when I take on a, a mentee, I, I pretty, you know, I outline what the experience will be like and what I'm here for. And ultimately I'm there to guide the work and try to nurture the voice that they're trying to get out in a way possible. I think that that role will probably um, pass when I leave the business or I'm done with the business or retire, because I think that you start to, you start to start to lose touch on what's really happening. And right now I'm in the pulse of what's happening. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's the perfect time to be communicating that. So of course, of that's, course. you know, so, so keeping mentorship alive in my life, you know, when you, when you, you were asking like, what would I give to my younger self or what would I give back to my younger self? Fucking hug would definitely be something there. <laughs> um, well, you, know, you need a hug. You know, I think that uh, I think young me needed uh, needed some hugs and to be told that, you know, that there was, you know, there was a there was a the way I was learning and the way I was raised. And, you know, I spent a lot of time therapy and work and whether it's, you know, work in psychedelics or working on working on myself. I, you know, the knowledge that I've acquired really, you know, it was it was starting before my second divorce because I could see that like I was. I was like not dissimilar to as a generational thing, uh, you know, was thinking I had my shit together because my work was together. Right. So I thought, uh, oh, my the, God, yeah, because yeah, know, but yeah, but your work is not you. My work is not me. Yeah. And yet I, you know, it, it was confusing because I feel the most me when I'm on set. Like I don't, I don't have a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of shyness and introvertedness that, that I, that I go through. Uh, on my day-to-day -day life and what you know stays with me is you know being able to like know and kind of know what the world is like now and to have been able to give myself some of those tools to have made the unlearning easier um you know i'm not someone that believes that like you know i i was you know a, my, like without the edge of my trauma that somehow i wouldn't be able to create I think actually my work's gotten better the deeper that I've worked on on myself. It's so. true because it's all, I mean look look at David Bowie, look at any sort of art artist that have has gone inwards that be, they become more authentic to themselves and then the work equally gets better because they connect with themselves a lot more. The more that you know yourself, the easier your work becomes readable and relatable. 100% totally agree. Yeah, I I I learned that um a couple of years ago. I I I I I was creating barriers and walls and 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 projecting different things, and then I was like, okay, I need to actually do some the work on it. And then as soon as you do the work, and as soon as you tap into who you are as a person, and then sort of your voice, what what you really deem as um, your sort of mantra or your 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 identity as as you as you as as you as a person, your work becomes more authentic because you then know what's really important to you and what you're fascinated about. And I realized over the years that I'm fascinated with people, humanity, relationships, like despair, loneliness, uh, confusion, uh, all these sort of things that make us human. I, I realized that that's what I'm fascinated about the psychology of the mind and, and, and how people react within social situations rather than 
other different things that make people and as soon as you tap into that then you sort of go oh i see how my yeah, work but... is this i get it now but beforehand yeah, work... it was always commercial <laughs> the work the work never ends i mean i think each each door that opens like you start once you once you under gain some understanding what I found is then you now are presented with the next three things that you didn't, that were masked by the strata of the thing before that you've like now kind of punched through. So it's, it's, it's kind of like an endless, uh, you know, a kind of endless corridor, but the exciting thing is like you, 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 you feel that when you feel that progress or those breakthroughs or you feel connected to that and you have a deeper understanding and, and, your empathy for humanity and 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 love of yourself that inevitably branches out into you know and that's where you know like self-love was where my work was and you know as that started to shift it was you know you start to see like where the other places that these things have affected my life and how they affected my family and what you know and i do it as much for me as i as i owe it to my kids to be able to raise you know, to be raise my kids and not be not raise them on the learnings that were so damaging for me. You know, coming mm. up. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, the self love is 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 always important, isn't it? You can't really move forward without the self love because the self love is the important thing to give you the self awareness to then go. Okay, I treasure myself and I treasure the journey and the to move forward to be a better person. But you can only do that when you have the self love to start off yeah. with. 100%. fascinating well i want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 yourself you have been 360 thank you very much it was great it was excellent thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our awesome guests please subscribe to our podcast to access all our astonishing episodes released every sunday 12 p.m we are available on all listening platforms spotify Pocket Cast, google podcast and apple podcast you can also find us on Instagram for more discussions, education, and inspiration at 360 underscore yourself. The host, that's me, Jamie Neal, on Instagram at Jamie Neal JN. And once again, thank you for listening and remember to 360 yourself. <laughs>